What is the future of Israel? In the natural there appears to be no hope for the nation. But in the supernatural it is a whole different situation. Those who know Bible prophecy are convinced that the nation has a great future ahead of it. One of those is our guest today, Dr. Richard Hill, who is the Messianic Pastor of Beth Yeshua Congregation in Las Vegas. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I have a very special guest in the studio with us today. He is Dr. Richard Hill, who is the pastor of Beth Yeshua Messianic Congregation in Las Vegas, Nevada. He is also an official representative of the CJF Messianic Ministry in San Antonio, Texas, which, folks, is a wonderful ministry that's headed up by Dr. Gary Hedrick. I recently read Dr. Hill's new book titled Israel in Bible Prophecy, a Chronology. And I was so impressed by it that I contacted him immediately and invited him to come to Dallas to be interviewed on our television program. Welcome to Texas. Thank you. We call this God's country. <laughs> so good to have you on, Dr. Hill. Uh, Nathan, nice to see you. I got to actually go to Las Vegas recently for the first time. I was visiting Pastor Billy Crone's church, and he said when people ask him, why he's in Las Vegas, he gets kind of angry. And I said, why is that? He said, well, they said, what is a Christian doing in Las Vegas? What's a Messianic Jew doing in Las Vegas? He said, well, we have two million lost souls here, but three million visitors every month come in. It's a great mission field. So, what I'd love to know is what is your testimony? How did you come to Yeshua Jesus as your Messiah? And what helped you or what guided you, obviously the Holy Spirit, but to put a church in Las Vegas? Well, uh Anybody that goes to Las Vegas that's a Christian obviously is called by God to go there. Yes. Nobody really yeah. wants to go. It was a culture shock. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Nobody really wants to go because it's so hot there. It's over, so, I mean, were you born and raised a Christian? Uh, yes, I was, well, born, you're not born a Christian, but I was raised as a Episcopalian actually in New Jersey. And uh, I, I had a real uh, wonderful spiritual experience with the Lord uh, when I was about 12, 15 years, years old. I actually listened to the uh, priest in his in his teaching, and uh, he presented the gospel. I went home, I received Jesus, and then I turned from Jesus right at that moment, oh. and uh, in my household. So I turned for 17 years uh, away from the Lord. He called me back when I was about 30 years old. I was going out with my current wife, <laughs> current wife, of course. My uh, she was my girlfriend at the time, and she actually said, "I want to go to church." Okay. I you go. were in California at that time? I was living in Los Angeles, yeah. We were going uh, to a ballroom dance class. That's how we met. Wow, that is dedication. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to meet uh, young ladies at the time. I was getting tired of the scene I was in, and it was not a good scene. And, uh, but God called me to this, he brought us together, and uh, she said, I want to go to church. And we actually ended up at Hal Lindsey's church to tell oh, us wow. Christian Center. Now, is that how you got interested in Bible prophecy? That's exactly how I got interested in it. Okay. He's teaching about grace, but teaching about Israel. And uh, it was years later when I found out that I was Jewish. And uh, so we. Uh, so you didn't know that at all? No, I didn't know that growing up at all. Hmm. My, my grandmother was German, and, uh, but we found out she was German Jewish. And so, uh, but I had already been in the Messianic movement after that. Uh, first, we were discipled. 
and uh, you know, grew in the Lord strongly. Uh, just day one, we just took off with the Lord and, and stayed with Him uh, all of our lives. So we're very excited what God's doing in the ministry. But uh, so we call this in the Messianic movement through that church. We started a Bible study with another gentleman, and and uh, he was leading it as a uh, it was a Messianic a Jewish Bible study, and then that turned into a congregation in LA. And so I pastored there as assistant for five years, and God called us to Las Vegas. Okay. When did you wow. get involved with the CJF Foundation in San Antonio? When that was that was uh, when I went to Las Vegas. We God called us to Las Vegas as a missionary with CJF Ministries, and then I started a congregation there. Tell as well. about CJF. CJF is a worldwide missionary organization that brings the gospel to the Jewish people. So wherever there's a Jewish population, we have people there. Uh, as missionaries sharing the good news of Jesus. Founded by Charles Hoff. Charles Hoff and a Gary. A wonderful man. Yeah, wonderful. I met him personally and he helped us in our ministry when we got started. Mm -hmm. And um, that was originally called the Christian Jew Foundation, but the term Christian Jew went out and and so they just we shortened referred it to, to it as CJF. Ministries. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. And so uh, through that organization, and I, I praise the Lord for them because they allowed me to be a, a Messianic pastor as well. So Beth Yeshua was planted there in Las Vegas. There's a strong Messianic Jewish presence in Las Vegas then. Well, we have at least two congregations there, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's a but strong there's, Jewish presence. Yeah, there's yeah. 80,000 yeah. 80, Jewish people. 80,000 Jewish people in Las Vegas. In Las out Vegas. Of 2, million. 2 million people total. And very few of those are religious, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah, most are, or it's secular. Yeah. There's about 20 uh, synagogues in town, yeah. approximately. Yeah. How about that? I guess most of those are Reformed synagogues. Well, it's Reform, <laughs> it's conservative, yeah, and there's some Orthodox as yeah. well. Okay. Well, let's talk about your book for a moment, Israel and Bible Proph uh, Israel and Prophecy: A Chronology. Uh, mm -hmm. What motivated you to write this book in the first place? God did. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Bible school answer. Yes. <laughs> now I've been teaching uh, from the uh, all these messages that uh, are in the book for last 25 years, and God finally just said, "Put it into a book." So about five years ago, we uh, I put together this chart, the chart that uh, is the backbone for the yes, book. In the back of the book, there. And it's at the very back. Yeah, and uh, that just led me to 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 be able to to write this book. So. God what, be glorified did, through it all. Yeah. Do you have any novel concepts in there that you don't normally run across in the study of Bible prophecy? Well, I believe the whole book is, is a novel book. Uh, very few are written like this because it's written in a chronology. And so I put, it, I put a chronology into all the prophecies about Israel. And uh, there are two prophecies that are imminent. One is the rapture, pre-trib rapture, of course. And then the other one is the Ezekiel War. And so... Uh, in my timeline, though, I have the Ezekiel War first, and then I have the one world government being set up. And then during that time period, I have pre-trib rapture occurring. So you tried to lay down all of the prophecies in their chronological order. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. That's, that's very helpful. And you say that you uh, consider the uh, war uh, in the Gog Magog War to be rather imminent. Do you think it's going to occur, start before the tribulation? Yes. Okay. Oh, definitely. At least, uh, in the book I say, at least three and a half years yeah. prior to the tribulation period, Ezekiel War will occur. That? There's a number of reasons within the chapters of Ezekiel 38 and 39 that point to that fact. Uh, the first one, of course, is the, the seven years. It talks about the seven years of... Um, Oh, cleaning up the land of the bones and burning the weapons for seven burning years. Burning of the weapons for seven yeah. years. That, I, that does not happen within the Millennial Kingdom. Yeah. Why not? 
And mm. because in the Millennial Kingdom, those weapons are going to be used for plowshares. And yes. Well, what about to, uh, during the Tribulation though? In the Tribulation, in the first half of the Tribulation, that war and the war that goes on in the very beginning, uh, the first half of the Tribulation period, that's a worldwide war. Mm -hmm. This war here in Ezekiel is uh, just a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, Russia and the Confederacy war. So it's a, a local war around Israel. Yes. It's just those nations and Russia attacking Israel. It's not the whole world. It's not all nations that are doing battle against Israel right. or Jerusalem. There's been quite a shift in dispensational thinking about the uh, uh, Gog and Magog war for many, many years. Uh, they all took the position it was going to be at, right at the beginning of the tribulation mm -hmm. because it says it's going to happen at a time when Israel is living in peace. So they said, okay, there's going to be a peace treaty with the Antichrist, the war will start. Walvard took that position, mm -hmm. for example. But the problem with that is it says it's going to take them seven years to clean up the battlefield and they're going to be run out of Israel uh, in the middle of the tribulation, at least a significant number of them when the exactly. Antichrist turns against them and starts persecuting them. They're not have time to p clean up the battlefield. Exactly. So now the, the, the thinking has moved to where the beginning of the war is before the tribulation. Mm -hmm. And that's the position you've taken. And I take at least three and a half years. It could be a, a lot longer before that as well. Yeah. yeah. And you believe then the rapture will happen after this war, not before this war? Yes. Okay. Yes. Why, why is that? Well, I just think it lines up better. I mean, uh, scripturally wise, and I say this in the book, the rapture and, and the Ezekiel war are imminent, so they can happen at any time. But I believe the world is going to be seeing this war. We're going to see it on, on the internet, we're going to see it on TV. This is a war that God wants the whole world to see. The Ezekiel War, it's uh -huh. dramatic. And, and He wants everybody to know because it says in Ezekiel 38 and 39 over and over again, He will be glorified. The he world is going to be God. glorified. Yeah, He's result. the only one that comes to defense of Israel. Right, right. And so, how does that work out? It's well, amazing. folks, so one of the things that really impressed me about Richard's book is that it contains a very, very strong and enthusiastic endorsement of the concept of a pre-trib rapture. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to take a brief break, break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask him why he believes in the pre-trib rapture specifically. What, what are his arguments? And also, why he thinks so many Messianic Jews have rejected the idea. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy in our interview of Dr. Richard Hill, who is the pastor of the Messianic Congregation in Las Vegas, Nevada. Pastor Hill, we have been, or Dr. Hill, you've got so many titles. <laughs> we could, uh, Rabbi Hill, we could talk uh, about the rapture, but I think some people are confused, especially when I talk to Messianics. They see a second coming of Jesus Christ, but they don't see it separate from the rapture. Why do you believe the rapture is separate from the second coming of Jesus? Well, um, in my book, I actually have uh, uh, 10 great reasons of why I believe in a pre trib rapture. Okay. And uh, two of those reasons are Jewish reasons. So, one of them is uh, the rapture actually fulfills the Feast of Trumpets. And the other one is the ancient Jewish wedding. Uh, we're in this uh, ancient Jewish wedding is prophetic. Every aspect of the ancient Jewish wedding, all the stages are prophetic. And so, we're in one of those stages right now and it's the, the fetching of the bride. Can you quickly go through those stages yeah, well, just so we can understand this. what... Okay, well, the very first stage is uh, the Ketubah stage or the Covenant stage where um, the fathers of the bride and the groom get together uh, in the ancient world of course and then they would say and, and go through some details as to you know are, should we marry, should we not marry, those kind of things. When they decide to marry then that's it. They are married at that moment. But what they do is they write up a Ketubah 
ketubah is a contract, and so the contract states the uh, the bride is going to do these things, the groom is going to do these things. Everybody signs it, everyone's happy. Yeah, but you, when you say they're married that moment, uh, Americans don't understand that because you're talking about what we call uh, an engagement, right? Because they're considered married, but they're not. They haven't consummated the marriage. They haven't consummated the marriage, and they don't live together as well. Yeah. But it's Typically, contractually more than it's a our contract. Engagement. Contract. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. a covenant. At that point, they are married, uh, and yet they, it hasn't happened yet. So, okay. like our that's new covenant. What, yeah. So the fulfillment is Jesus dying on the cross. Okay. For all of our sins, and He has made that contract now. Right? The he new has put covenant. the ketubah. It's the new covenant. Mm -hmm. And he has put the ketubah together. And now his bride, and of course the bride is still coming together. The church. But yeah, the church, the body of Messiah. So we're all still becoming part of that uh, bride. Okay, so the second stage is a waiting period. Second stage is a waiting period. The groom leaves. And what he, do is, it, what he does is, is uh, he performs uh, a. What do you think? <laughs> starts building a, a house. Yeah. It's the bridal chamber. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So typically in the olden days he would add on a room to the household that his father lives yes. on. And so... Uh, and that period lasts at least nine months, right? It's about a year. It's yeah. about a year time, but depending on whether the children are actually very young or not. Yeah. And, and, and the bride does not know when he's coming. Right. Okay. Nobody knows except for the father. Okay. Yeah. Um, Even the son okay. doesn't know. So we're in that waiting period right now. We're in the waiting period right now. But Jesus in John chapter 14, he said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Yes. And that's the promise. There we go. All He's right. preparing the place. It's the bridal chamber there in heaven. All right. So the third we're... stage then is the fetching of the bride. The fetching of the bride. And that's where we're in right well, now. When he comes maybe in the middle of the night. Yeah. And, and she's got to be ready. And he can come anytime he wants, of course. Yeah. But the father tells the son. And then there is. Then, you know, then the son comes back. Okay. And, and then the next stage us. is after he fetches her, they go to the bridal chamber and consummate the marriage. Yep. And they're there for about seven days. Mm -hmm. Seven days, seven years of tribulation. I see where you're going. Yes. Yes. Then they come out and there's a celebration. So you have pre trib and then your seven years in heaven. And we have the Bema seat judgment there in heaven as well. We have to pick it prepared for the wedding. The wedding occurs at the end of that tribulation period, right before the second coming of mm -hmm. Jesus. Okay. And that's Re uh, Revelation chapter 19. And that's why then you believe the rapture is separate from the second coming yes. based on the. Now wedding you said there were two Jewish reasons. What's the second one? The second one is the Feast of Trumpets. Shofar, shofarot is the Hebrew word that we use for that. And it's the blowing of the shofar. And it's also called Rosh Hashanah in, in, okay. uh, in the Jewish world. And this is a feast that actually prepares for Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And, um, but it's a day that we blow the shofar all day long. And uh, in our services, I blow it at least 100 uh, oh. times. So it's a lot of fun Good to breath. blow the shofar, yeah. You know, it's amazing when you understand the Jewish side of the Bible, something that we Gentiles lack, we miss out on so mm. much understanding. Bible prophecy comes alive when you understand the Jewish perspective, and that's what you find in your book. Well, now, I don't understand exactly what you're talking about here with regard to the Feast of, of Trumpets. Are you saying that you think that's when the, the rapture is most likely to occur? Mm -hmm. Okay. As a, yes. But it's not, since we can't know any day or hour, is the Feast of Trumpets well, two days, if I think I read right? It, well, the Feast of Trumpets in the biblical. It's one day. Yeah. It's just one day. Wouldn't we then know the day and hour that the rapture would happen? No. No, not necessarily. We don't know the year either. Um, That's true. It, you have to understand that the scriptures are very clear that it could happen anytime, anytime. So, yeah. Just because there is a possibility of it happening on that day, then that's fine. But if it doesn't happen on the day of Feast of Trumpets, well, then it still can be fulfilling of that feast. Okay, well, there's a third Jewish reason. 
And the third Jewish reason uh, for a pre-tribulation rapture is that the uh, tribulation has nothing to do with the church. It has to do with the Jewish people. Uh, mm -hmm. There were in, in Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel told yep. Daniel that God was going to accomplish, I think, six things among the Jewish people in a period of uh, 70 weeks a year. And uh, the only one of those that you could possibly argue that's been fulfilled is the atonement. The rest of them are yet to be fulfilled. And uh, that's going to happen during the last seven years of the 70 weeks of years. So the whole tribulation is a focus on the Jewish people. There's no reason for the church to be here. That's right. That's exactly right. The issue with Daniel, he says, this is for your people and your holy city. And it's for the Jewish people. It's not for the church. It's not for any other nation. Although God is judging the world, and we know that through the book of Revelation, but He's focusing on Israel yes. because He's got a plan for Israel. So, tied with Daniel chapter 9 is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24 to 28, where God is working and working amongst the Jewish people. He's bringing them back to the land. That's the regathering. He's going to save them. First, He's going to judge them. Then He's going to save them. And then He's going to properly restore them back to the land of Israel so that they can live in the Messianic Millennial Kingdom. It occurred to me one day that um, the church age began with an overlap period. Church mm -hmm. was established in about 30, 31, 32 A.D. And um, it was 40 years later right. that God poured out His wrath upon the Jewish people, had them dispersed, and, and so there was an overlap period where he's working both the church and the Jewish people. And it appears to me that we're probably in an overlap period right now at the end of the church age where God is beginning to change his focus to the Jewish people as he's gathering them from all over the world, still working with the church, but gathering them and very soon take us out and focus on them. That's correct. That's and that correct. seems like that's another thing that results from the Gog and Magog war. Not only does the world know the Lord, which you don't need the church anymore, but two, that the Jewish people, all the Jewish people, are gathered back in the land. Now, from what I read, only half the Jewish people are in the land right now? Yeah. yeah there's so almost 7 million Jewish people in the land, and wow. there's about 16, 17 million around the world. So. And they need to all go back? Yeah. Okay. Well, I would say at least most have to go back. Um, I don't know if every single Jewish person is going to make it back to the land. Okay, I want to shift gears here now and talk about a different topic that you mentioned in your book, and that has to do with uh, replacement theology. Uh, this is the uh, view of the vast majority of Christian churches in the world. The Catholic Church, most Protestant mm -hmm. churches, overwhelming viewpoint. God washed His hands of the Jewish people in the first century because they are guilty of deicide, of killing uh, God. And He has no purpose left for them. All the blessings that He promised Israel are going to be given to the church. And God just has no purpose for the Jewish people. What about it? Oy vey. That's what I got to say about that. You're Jewish. God has a plan. God has a plan for the Jewish people. He loves the Jewish people. They're the apple of His eye. We have not replaced Israel. We have become partakers with Israel. We're, we're uh, engrafted into the olive tree of Israel, Romans chapter 11. But we're partakers, not overtakers. And that's what I teach as well. Well, who killed Jesus then? If they're accusing the Jews of killing Jesus, is there any truth to that? Well, of course, we all killed Jesus. We all killed Jesus. Well, everybody killed Jesus. Acts okay. four twenty-seven. Truly, in this city, Jerusalem, there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom you did anoint. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, mm -hmm. and the peoples of Israel. Gentiles, Israel, Herod, Pontius Pilate. 
and someone else, you and me. Mm -hmm. Because He died for all of us. All of us have the blood of Jesus on our hands, not just the Jews. And yet the church has taught that mm -hmm. for 2,000 years. And you know, anybody who takes the position that God has no purpose left for the Jews has got to take some chapters out of the Bible, like Romans 9 through 11. Mm -hmm. You just got to cut them out. Because I think it that's says what God do. still loves the Jewish people, still has a purpose for the Jewish people, and is determined to save a remnant. They also have to ignore the fact that Jesus said, I'm not coming back until the Jewish people are willing to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch Hashem Adonai. Yep. Amen. That's part of my book, too. <laughs> well, another thing that I would mention is that I consider one of the worst forms of anti Semitism to be what's called dual covenant theology. This is the theology that says the Jews have their way of salvation, Gentiles have their way of salvation. It is wrong mm -hmm. to share the gospel with a Jewish person, and there are some very, very well-known prominent people, yes. uh, Christian leaders who take this position. My position is that when you say that the gospel is not meant for the Jews, you first of all are repudiating what Paul said in Romans that it's first for the Jews, and furthermore, you're loving them right straight into hell. That's right. It's the worst form of anti-Semitism, actually. Yeah, Romans 1.16, we are to bring the Gospel to the Jew first, and then the Gentile. And that's what I do at CGF Ministries. That's what I do at Beth Yeshua. That's what my life is really about. Uh, you know, and, and I want Jewish people to read this book as well. Number one, I want them to be warned about what's coming. You know, some of them know. Elie Wiesel, he, he wrote about the Holocaust that's coming, and he's warned the people. But I want them to know. I want them to see that that the, the Holocaust is coming, but I also want them to see the good news message of Yeshua Jesus. Right. So that they will be saved, they'll get their names written in the Book of Life, and truly understand, you know, the truth about Yeshua Jesus. It's tragic when you think that two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed by the Antichrist. You mentioned about 12 million or so. That would be 9 million people killed by the Antichrist. Even worse Holocaust than Hitler, and you write about that in your book mm -hmm. too. Yeah. yeah. But the good news uh, in that Holocaust mm -hmm. is one-third will make it through. Well, I have found that uh, among Messianic Jews, and I have a lot of uh, interrelations with them, I've found that first of all there is a rejection of the pre-trib rapture. They just for some reason really reject that. I think many of them told me they consider it to be an anti-Semitic concept because here we go once again, all these Gentiles are going to be taken out and we're going to be left. And I say, hey, you're part of the church. Right. You're going to be yeah. taken with them. And the second thing is they very, very much oppose this idea that two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed during the tribulation. They said this is an anti-Semitic concept. It's ridiculous. You're just wanting us to be killed. How do you respond to that? Again, that's an emotional response. Yeah. And that's the, it's not biblical, of course. Zechariah says it point blank. Yeah. The problem is, what I believe is most of those Jewish people that you're running across are Torah observant. Okay. And therefore they're putting the Torah above the rest of the Bible, and they really don't even read the rest of the Bible. And so Torah becomes important. That means you're following the law, okay? And you're trying to keep the law, and you're trying to keep the law to please God. Yeah. So your sanctification process is all focused around that. And uh, I've met so many of these Messianic Jews that do that, and it's really well, terrible. Well, I try to point out to them that it, uh, that many Jews being killed is a horrible thing. And it's not something I look forward to. And it's not because God hates the Jews, it's because He loves the Jews. He's trying to bring the Jewish people exactly. to the end of themselves so that they will finally 
turn, repent, and receive Yeshua as their Messiah. Just like he had to beat me over the head with a two by four to get my attention, and with with many me. of our viewers. I mean, right. God has a way of getting people's attention. Why yeah. is that? When you minister to Jewish people, you you bring the gospel to Jewish people all the time. Maybe mm -hmm. you have more luck than I, if I could say luck than I because you're Jewish. But as a Gentile, I go up and immediately, you know, all the atrocities that the church has done to the Jews over well, two thousand years mm -hmm. come up, and they're totally like they have blinders yeah. that they just can't see the Messiah. How do you break through that? You have to empathize right away yes. and get off the topic of the Holocaust immediately. That's what I do. Okay. And, uh, and I'm part Jewish, and so I'll talk about my grandmother and how they left and how blessed we are because of that, you know, before the war broke out. So they got out of um, Germany in time. Then. Yeah, yeah, but you and a lot of these Jewish people they blame God for for the Holocaust. Oh, yes. And so you got to say, look, that was a crazy man that killed all these Jewish people, and it's not God. So. Uh, and but they uh, just get very emotional. You've got to get off the topic. And most right Christians away. just do okay. not either know. Most Christians I found do not know about the history of anti-Semitism. Most in the do church. not. Mm -hmm. They don't understand that when when a Jew when they approach a Jew, the Jew is very suspicious of them because of this history of yeah. anti-Semitism. Yeah. And they have to also be very careful about language. You don't talk about Christ. That's right. You don't use that term because that. They were persecuted in the name of Christ. Mm -hmm. You don't use the term cross. You don't. You, uh, there's so many things that you've got to exactly. be careful in your vocabulary in talking to a Jewish person. Mm -hmm. So people really need to be trained in Jewish evangelism. And that's what we do at CGF Ministries as well. We train people to evangelize. That's Jewish a wonderful people, thing yeah. because we, we really need that. Yeah. So now you have to change your show title. Christ <laughs> can't be. It's got to be Messiah <laughs> in prophecy. <laughs> it, how's that? Mashiach? I can never pronounce Mashiach. it. Mashiach. Mashiach in prophecy. <laughs> well, I like well then you idea. have to take crosses off of every church in America. <laughs> oh, wow. That sounds as long. Because it's the cross, and then it's Christ, and then it's. I yeah. find that when I talk to Jewish people, they think that if you become a Christian, they lose their identity as Jews. Yes. How can you be, get saved and become a, a follower of Yeshua and still be Jewish? Well, because you keep your Jewish lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty simple. Tradition. You see Just the as Jesus and the Apostles did. Dr. Hill, it's been great having you on. Could you let folks know who want to follow your ministry how to get in touch with you? Yes. You can go to our website. It is called BethYeshuaLV.org. And that's where all the information is. The book is right there, and all you got to do is click on the tabs. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us. May the Lord bless you and your congregation and your outreach to the Jewish people. Folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope, the Lord willing, you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. The Bible is literally filled with prophecies about the Jewish people, past, present, and future. And in fact, the Jewish people are the focus of end-time Bible prophecy. Folks, I've spent the past 40 years studying these remarkable prophecies and their fulfillments, and I have put together a summary of them in a new book of mine that is titled, Israel in Bible Prophecy, Past, Present, and Future. The incredible story of Israel in Bible prophecy is proof positive of the existence of God and that the Bible is the Word of God. The first section of the book takes a look at four prophecies that were fulfilled before the beginning of the 20th century. The second section features seven prophecies that were fulfilled in whole or in part during the 20th century. The final section of the book takes a look at the prophecies concerning the future of Israel, showing how the suffering of the Jewish people in the Great Tribulation will lead 
to their national repentance and salvation. Finally, there is an epilogue in which I explain how all this is relevant to Christians in the 21st century. The book runs 256 pages in length, and it can be yours for a donation of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. To order a copy, either call our office at the number you see on the screen or place your order through our website at lambline.com. If you call, please call Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time. I believe this book will be a great blessing to you. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 